Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast, a show where we watch the 1997 anime revolutionary girl Utena in order from start to finish. The hitch here is that I am a super fan. Chesney is watching this for the very first time. So you are getting her fresh first impressions each time we do this. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And today we have episode 15, The World Seen Through Kozue. And who boy. <laughs> yeah. We have more of the Black Rose saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is our second Black Rose duelist. And this time it is Mickey's twin sister, Kozue. I want to make a corny joke here so bad. I've been holding back on it this whole time. Do it. It's Kozue or the highway. <laughs> You're oh fired. my I'm god. Finding, I'm finding a new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I like these horrible puns have just been building up inside of me this whole time. <laughs> just been waiting to be unleashed. You could really say that uh you could really <laughs> you could really say that um it's Kozue or nothing. Like there's so many like way pun. I'm done. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I can put it away now. I can put it close away. All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I've just been sitting on them like a proud mother hen on a little egg. Just <laughs> oh gosh. The horrible puns are the hardest to keep secret. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So the episode starts. <laughs> Do I need to give you a minute to recoup from that? <laughs> no, we're good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the episode starts and we have uh, Cosway and Mickey in the same little courtyard on opposite sides. And Kozue is flirting away. I'm going to resist the pun urge with uh, just some random dude. And uh, Mickey's kind of like before that, like before we even see Kozue, we're introduced to her by like this music sting that they do. Like the, the, the piano uh, little bit that they do to like, um, indicate that like he sees her across the hallway and like yeah it is it is like a little sting yeah like that little bit that they do um is something that is brought back from the first time we saw Kozue Mm -hmm. yes yeah so we get that little sting or it's almost like a sixth sense that he has which I it makes sense they're twins so (laughs) of course he has like a supernatural sense of when she's near um (laughs) but he he literally he hears the music first and then looks and there she is um yeah and she's flirting away with some rando and he's kind of like watching but trying not to watch kind of thing like an awkward like what's my sibling doing type of moment um and she kind of sees him and then like pushes like the boundary a little bit like i don't know how to yeah, like she's just like, 
oh yeah, you see this? And watch me take it a step further. And watch me take it a step further. She's like drawing and the dude in. And his gears. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mickey gets uh, distracted by who I assume is his music teacher or musical coach. Yeah, um, yeah, the music teacher, like the piano coach, whatever, however you want yeah. to say like who this guy is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he he rolls up and he says that he has high hopes for Mickey, and of course, like Mickey has to stop paying attention to Kozue, and mm-hmm. then the music teacher does like a really creepy thing, and yep. goes in for like physical contact with Mickey. Um, now, I want to say like there are harmless ways for adults. To have physical contact with children. This does not seem to be framed as one of them. <laughs> hand, hand on the hip is not innocent. Yeah, no, that's way too far. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, too much. Yeah, like, as soon as this happens, Kozue just puts her hand right in this boy's face and pushes him out of the way so she can pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, like, now somebody has crossed the line into hurting her brother and who isn't her. Like, she's allowed to hurt her brother by doing all, like, the stuff that she does. But no one mm-hmm. else is allowed to. Right. And then we just have the title card. And that's how we start this episode is a series <laughs> of weird. <laughs> I think I like how I started our episode a little bit better, just with the horrible puns as opposed to... <laughs> boundary pushing (laughs) but it sets the stage for the whole episode well right because like this episode we now see another sibling relationship along with like the akio and anthe one and Mm -hmm. the um toga and nanami one and so we're getting into this this period where now we we're juggling three different sibling relationships that all have a different thing to say about what is healthy and what healthy boundaries look like. Right. Let me tell you, um, doing this weird, like the way that she pushes the boundaries and hurts Mickey is the way that an ex would do. Like an oh, ex-lover right. would do. <laughs> right. So, like it definitely has that vibe to it. But at the same time, like it kind of also has um, like it still has more of a sibling vibe than just exes, though. <laughs> like we joke about Toga and Sionji being exes. <laughs> <laughs> joke. That's yeah, real. No, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're exes. That, that's canon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They keep going back to each other. It's a whole thing. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, unlike the stuff with Akio and Anthe, this still seems inbounds. You know, like, like he's having trouble getting over, like, losing, say, his best friend from growing up together. Like, we see how close they are. They, They share a bedroom still. And so losing that bond is still hurting him. You know, this isn't necessarily strictly a romantic thing. 
No, but she kind of toes the line with it. Right. And I feel like that's just like her twisting the knife as opposed to like actually pushing that boundary in te- like in earnest. Okay. I can see that. That's what was throwing me off this whole time. I was like, again? (laughs) (laughs) Again with this? Why? (laughs) Okay. But speaking of the sibling dynamics, we get an interesting follow-up shot as the first uh, shot after the title sequence of Toga in like a depressive almost catatonic state like slouched in a chair in a dimly lit room with a record playing some like very quiet sad music yeah it's like a classical music piece um Mm -hmm. i'm not a musician i can't identify the piece off the top of my head but like it's like a it's a classical music piece yeah and Nami pokes her head in and says, you know, at least have something to eat. She tries to start a conversation with him. He doesn't respond. So she just ends it with, well, at least have something to eat. And then shuts the door. And the interesting thing here is that she's in her, like, duelist outfit. She's not in her school uniform. Which is more like her student council outfit. Because she says that she's going to take over for him on the student council and make sure that they're okay. Um, yes. And at the same time, like as she's promising to do this, like she's herself, like hurt by what's going on with Toga. And you can see it in her posture. She's just like slumped over just like he is. Mm hmm. Yeah. She doesn't have the usual, um, like fight in her that she would normally have right and and i think that like that speaks to just like her seeing her brother in that condition and what it's doing to her to see him that way it's a moment of like actual empathy here which is something that like a lot of the characters don't have and I, i feel like these moments like, you can easily read Nanami's character as just being opportunistic and taking over the student council while Toga is gone. But, like, these shots show that there's more at play there. That this is more about her caring than about her ambition. Even though, like, the public facade that she's going to put on for the rest of this episode is that she's in charge now and that's just how this is. <laughs> what we're seeing here is like this this private moment of like really feeling pain for what her brother is going through. And, you know, you can judge or even like think twice about the dynamic at play between those two. But her capacity for empathy is it's just like that that moment with the cat where. She drowns the cat, which is like way over the moral event horizon for pretty much everybody and immediately (laughs) regrets doing it. Mm -hmm. And like these moments are ones that we don't get from Toga. 
So like Nanami definitely isn't just a scheming, ambitious sociopath. That's her brother. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's not that at all. No, it's it's if anything, it's like a sense of duty from her that she feels to have to step in and take over his. I would uh, say an inflated sense of duty. Yeah, (laughs) it definitely. (laughs) Like that part does still ring true as being part of ambition. (laughs) Is like it's not actually her job to do this. No, she could (laughs) have left that alone. But in her mind, she feels it is her duty to step in and help her brother in this way. It's like right. a tangible way that she can. And if it's, you know, a part of her own little ambitions and so be it. But yeah, it definitely is a little inflated, <laughs> a little <laughs> self-imposing. But I think it's still, it's got, um, she's got her heart in it. Yeah, there's definitely senior members on the student council. Like, jury could absolutely have filled that role without breaking right. a sweat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why I think it's so interesting when she does step in and Jury and Mickey have absolutely no, (laughs) no objections whatsoever. Someone's taking responsibility and it's not me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's like such an adult feeling right there. (laughs) Yes, it is. Oh, good. good. Somebody else has this. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. I have, no, I have nothing left to prove. I'm just glad it's handled. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the student council, we have this scene between Mikage and Mamiya where th- they're talking about the strategy of using the student council because we know that the student council are capable duelists, unlike uh, Kanae last episode. And also that they have like enough passion, like their heart's desire is strong enough. And like the conversation turns to the fact that they lost already. And so Mikage hatches this plan that instead of having the student council themselves do the dueling, they'll have, they'll make the the black rose duelists out of the people who have a hold on their hearts. And so they're going to make black rose duelists out of the people close to the student council instead of the student council themselves. Yeah, it's interesting that they they say that um, either it's either like a fighting spirit or they straight out say a sword crystallized in their hearts and we can utilize that. We can take advantage of that. Oh, yeah. No, they, they say straight up sword. <laughs> okay. Um. You know, like this isn't uh, this isn't bleach with the zombok toes. Like the, this is just straight up. You have a sword in your heart, and we're gonna pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is kind of a, a zombok toe scenario where like your your willpower, your fighting spirit manifests as the sword, but uh, the same way that like the sort of Dios works, mm-hmm. and. Like, it's a brilliant expansion of this setting and this world that you don't get in the manga. Uh, Because this plot arc is unique to the show, this element of uh, drawing swords from someone who isn't the Rose Bride Anthe is entirely new. And it's a fascinating bit of world building that they do here of 
saying like someone who has a hold on your heart can basically make you their rose bride temporarily and draw a sword from them. I'll be interested to see how this plays out in future duels because when this happens, the person that it happens to Mickey uh, straight up passes out for the entirety of the time that Kozue is fighting. So I'm interested to see if it's like a, a mimic and not a true copy of the ability of the Rose Bride, because it kind of seems like it's like gearing that way. Um, because when anybody pour- pulls the sword from Anthe, she's still awake. And in fact, she can do other things while they're fighting, <laughs> as we've clearly <laughs> seen. Um, but I don't know if it was just too much for Mickey to handle emotionally or if it was truly the process. It seems like maybe a little bit of both, but. Maybe more so the latter um, that just sent him into shock and knocked him out. Yeah, there, like there's a traumatic element to this too, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. a violent act that this is. That this is, you know, th- like this is a very violent act. Mm-hmm. Can I just say, by the way, I am living for these little like villainous moments. Like what do you mean? female female villain moments where it's like um like Kanai and Kozue both have been, you know, pretty in their like I mean delusional, but like in their power and I just live for it. <laughs> oh, that's that is this entire arc. So buckle up. <laughs> I'm living. I I live for any time there's like a female antagonist or female villain. I just, I live for it. So yeah, it immediately cuts to, this, I love the transitions in this arc, by the way. <laughs> they are so, just chef's kiss so good. Um, but it's this be- like really clean transition of uh, Kozue just like kind of playing with some water uh, in her hand at the pool. And uh, these two girls come up to her and quite honestly, we don't even know if they're her friends or if they're just somebody, two people that have come up to <laughs> gossip and bother her. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, Kozue, we saw that you're with, uh, you were with so-and-so. Uh, so you've got a new boyfriend? And she goes, no, I didn't change boyfriends. I just added one. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, Get first it, of girl. all. Get it. Right. <laughs> And, and not and she only says, that, she says, yeah. you can, yeah, you can do it too. <laughs> yes. She says, you can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> and to which one of the girls responds, oh, okay, well introduce me to your brother. And then it's an immediate like behavior and tone shift. And she just goes, okay, well, there's already a girl he's been like eyeing or attracted to lately. And it cuts to um, Mickey trying to gather the courage to ring the doorbell <laughs> outside yeah. of Anthe and Utana's dorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's psyching himself up and immediately gets caught 
by Utena, who sees what is going on, does the math, and is like, oh, no, here you go, bro. I'll help you out. Hey, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anthony, guess who's here? <laughs> yeah. Just total wingman. I love it. Yeah. And a poor thing. He's so spooked. Like, when she first comes up behind him, he just immediately blurts out, I wasn't doing anything weird, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and all throughout this scene, uh, there's a wind chime in the room. And every time there's like an awkward moment or an awkward pause or uh, Mickey says something he shouldn't or isn't saying something he should, the the wind chime rings as if to break the silence. And the tension in this scene is so perfect and so beautiful. Like he is sitting here trying to impress Anthe and trying to like, hit on her basically and Uten is sitting on the bed just grinning like a fool watching this all play out <laughs> yeah I mean here's the thing is like she is trying to and is in some cases being Mickey's wingman but also at the same time like girl you're a little too close to the stage for this one you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> like and she doesn't even realize it, but I'm like, you're this close because you have a stake in the game. Like, on one hand, you want to see Mickey succeed, but you also don't want to leave the two of them alone. Right. And right. to be fair, part of it could be because, you know, he is a student council member. Maybe she doesn't fully trust him, even though they are on friendly terms. It could be I, that. Yeah, I don't believe that one. I, I don't find that Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we know the... that down right now. Like, that, no, <laughs> she—that is too sincere of a smile on Utena's face for that to be the case. Um, okay, okay, but at the same time, like, what I I would buy it that like deep down she hasn't processed her feelings about Anthe yet and doesn't yes. want to leave them alone. Yes, exactly. Uh, also, can we talk about how? When Mickey first comes into the room and it's just Anthony and Choo Choo, Choo Choo's interactions in throughout this whole like dynamic scene are really interesting. The first one in particular, because it's Choo Choo eating a cracker and then trying to like, he, he gets like an annoying fly buzzing around him. So then he gets irritated and like flips around and starts eating it, like shoving it, <laughs> shoveling it down his face. <laughs> um, but I always look to Choo Choo and I feel like he's a good indicator of how Anthe maybe is really feeling. So I don't know if she like just wanted to be alone. I don't know if she just wanted to spend time with Utena and this feels like an annoying, like an annoying fly. <laughs> Uh, that is but a she... really perceptive uh, thing to pick up on. Well, like the way that like Anthe's mood seems like it gets sublimated into how Choo Choo acts. Yes. Well, yeah. Like, I and think the... we're getting more of that with this arc, right? With like, yes, like the big reveal in the, at the end of last episode, uh, which I don't want to get into detail for because like I don't want to rehash that. 
But like right. the big reveal of last episode and the way that Choo Choo was terrified about it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it just with how Anthony talks has talked about Choo Choo in the past about him being her best friend um, and how anytime she moves from place to place, he's the one constant that goes with her, you know, as far as like her role as the Rose bride, whoever, you know, wins the Rose bride, she has to go be wherever they are. Um, so I just feel like he's a good indicator for how she's really feeling. And so I thought that was interesting. And then throughout the whole like awkwardness, it's just choo-choo shoveling watermelon in his mouth. <laughs> like every scene or every shot, excuse me, that has him in it is just more watermelon rinds in the background. Um, <laughs> and then just like gets too full. But yeah. So I don't really think that there's maybe anything to read into with that. I do with the watermelon rinds. But I do, it's interesting that like, even though she felt like it was an annoyance for maybe Mickey to come around at that time or to ask this, she still goes and plays the piano with him. Right. So I'm like, did you do it because you wanted to or did you do it because you felt obligated? We don't Well, I mean, we've all had those friends who like, the romantic interest isn't reciprocated, but you still are friends. Mm. I guess we both haven't had that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, I have had that. I just I was like, oh, I didn't think about that that way. But also, like Uta in this scene to me is really interesting as well. Just because, like, even though like we joke that she's not leaving them alone. <laughs> yeah Um, at the same time it still speaks to her her recognition of Anthe's agency that like if Mickey is who Anthe wants to be with she is fully supportive of that because Anthe needs more people than her brother and whoever she's engaged to right and she's right in that so the way that this interaction ends between the three of them is just Mickey um, not quite begging, but very earnestly asking, like does kind of a formal like head bow um, and asks uh, Anthony to come play piano with him. And that says that his teacher will even be really impressed with her playing. And it has this interesting transition where, honestly, when I first saw this, I thought that it was Anthe seeing either the future or what was currently happening in the moment. Okay. I do still think that it's, and this could be wrong, but I do still think that it's her seeing this. Uh, scene unfold at least pieces of it um like getting images of what's going on 
when uh, Mickey mentions his piano teacher. Okay. Or his music teacher, excuse me. Because it's three flashes and it's, you just hear like somebody panting as if they're running, like terrified from something. And the last one, the last flash that you get is this like long flight of uh, stairs. That's almost like, um, almost like a specific artistic choice. Um, Oh no. Like in Japan, that kind of staircase is pretty normal because like everything is hills and mountains. Um, those no, 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 no. but like I, that are... yeah, so it's almost like Anthe sees it in a vision in my, from my perspective. And then we cut to the reality of what's happening, which is the music teacher running down this switchback staircase, terrified running from something. And then we see Kozue. And like, he, he's running like out of control. Like he's trying to find his footing as he's going down the stairs yes how it like absolutely is like like the way you you go down the stairs when you've lost control of your steps (laughs) or truly like (laughs) i i want to compare it to when you're running from something in a nightmare okay and you're just like blindly running just trying to get away from something and then we cut to the top of the staircase, and there's Kozue. Yep. Uh-huh. And Jury is there, basically accusing Kozue of pushing him down the stairs. She's like, I heard a rumor that uh, when he fell down the stairs, he didn't just fall, he was pushed. He received a call that said that the next accident would be worse. <laughs> so, okay... So it was this same teacher. I thought maybe Kozue pushed another teacher down this this flight of stairs. <laughs> as no, well as his, the music teacher. <laughs> this was his music teacher, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But like this is some straight up gangster shit. Like <laughs> pushing him yeah. down as what looks like 40 steps of stairs and threatening him that the next time will be worse. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because jury you know, she doesn't even accuse. She just kind of mentions it offhand. <laughs> like, from one person who's bullied a teacher to another, you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> the parallel here is not lost on me that jury has gotten teachers removed from this school. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's like, game recognize game. And, uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And so she asks, why do you hate him so much? And I feel like Kozue's answer is really interesting. Um, she's about to say one thing. And then just says uh, something about not wanting to see Mickey hurt. Or like anyone. Yeah, who, she says. It's about anyone who would I hurt Mickey. I can't forgive any. Yeah, she says, I can't forgive anyone who would hurt Mickey. Yes. And this dovetails with that creepiness that we saw earlier. Like, like it was no accident that it was drawn to hype up the amount of, like, smarmy vibe. Yeah. That, like, this is something that this teacher is perhaps known for. Um, They're, like, I certainly had teachers in my school who 
like the whisper network among the students was like, don't be alone with those teachers, you know, yeah. like, um, and so the idea that like Kozoy would take matters into her own hands this way, again, this is some gangster shit and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's really powerful of her. She was like, fuck this adult. I don't care who you are. You're not going to hurt my brother. I do want to talk about the fact that like with this, it feels also like there's a queer coding of the music teacher. Yeah. In a way that like really skeeves me out in terms of um, queer coding of sexual predators. Yep. And I just like had to say that like, like that element of this does not age well. Like this age is like milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, there was a, there was a, a time, and I don't know how global of an opinion this was, or yeah, I guess I would call it an opinion, but there was a time where, um, there was that association, even though it was not correct. Oh, uh, that is still an ever present one. That, like that is the constant drumbeat of anti-LGBTQ uh, advocacy is like they will always draw the connection to pedophilia. Yeah. Well, it was just much more present in the States overall, um, like on a national scale, a little bit. Well, around this time, you know, and even before then in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and like you can see it now in Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a huge deal. Um, like and that some other Eastern European countries, like Poland. And the people who used to say that stuff here in the U.S. have now exported their bigotry to countries in Africa. Like they go there to like gen up anti-LGBTQ sentiment using the same lies that have finally been put to rest in the u.s um but like mostly they have their yeah like they have their network of people and they have their business plan and they just go there and they sell their shit over there instead and like that is one of those persistent lies that just never seems to go away and yep. it's like honestly like even more than like the incest part this is the thing that like bugs the shit out of me from this show is like when it does stuff like this <laughs> yeah um because like this is the one that actually like pushes my buttons the incest stuff doesn't actually like do that for me like it doesn't hit me on that level but like this one does this one i take personally <laughs> so again on one hand good for Kozue for standing up to an, an adult in power in her school but also at the same time shaking our heads yeah, who on the, the show for for queer yeah. coding a sexual predator? Um, exactly. Anyhow, <laughs> um, we we go from that scene to Mickey and Kozue's bedroom, and this is where we get a hint at like the twinning of these two, and by that I mean like these are twins who were raised as twins and allowed to be twins as they grew up. Like different parents have different parenting styles around this, 
where like they like some parents are like vehemently opposed to allowing twin children to behave as twins you know like wearing the same thing developing the same habits like that kind of thing these Mm -hmm. two clearly were raised twinned right like they had the same hobby like they had the same creative outlet of the music and you can see even like stylistically the their family is rich enough that they have these beds where the frames have an M and a K on them in like these really stylized filigree decorative elements. Um, they have, they have cups that have the M and the K on it. Also like really interesting that they're M and K and not the Japanese characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even like the katakana, like anything like that. Yeah, so we get this. And th- this is something that goes to what I was saying earlier about the way in which she is using her sexuality to drive a knife into Mickey. Is that like, this isn't necessarily like a situation like with Akio and Anthe. Like, this is just a matter of like how close these two have always been. Mm-hmm. that like now she's found a wedge and is enjoying being able to uh, hold something over her brother which by the way just as a point of note here <laughs> i can't believe mickey talked about kozue as if she were dead in you know our first two-parter episode the preludes um, <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like he did that. Like I, I don't get where you're getting that from. <laughs> he did though. He talked about her as if she was gone. She was gone from his life, and in a way, you know, the music part of him, or the uh, the music part of her being in his life is gone. But just the way that he talked, like laments about it. Um, and holds that as a pain point in his heart. And then they sleep in the same fucking room. <laughs> like, I just, I can't get over it. I like Mickey, but he is a, he's very melodramatic sometimes. <laughs> I don't, I don't get that same read from that. Like, I think it was just him lamenting the distance between them. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, like, he offers to make a milkshake for her, and she doesn't want one. Um, and then we cut to Utena seeing Kozue uh, outside the music room. And she's like, boy, there is no difference between the two of you. Like, if you were a boy, you'd be identical. And Kozue takes that okay. Like, it seems like she ignores it a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she kind of does. Um, and just like straight asks her like, what's that? What's the name of that girl with the glasses? And as soon as she tells her that's Anthe, um, you can see like Utena sees the hate in Kozue's eyes and it scares her. Yeah. And the moment that hate bubbles up, we get an insert shot of Mamiya plucking the black rose. Like the black rose has now bloomed. This hatred 
has now bloomed and it is ready to be used. So then we get something we haven't had in a long time. Well, oh what God, feels like a even, long time. We're not even like halfway through the episode. <laughs> <laughs> a lot happened in this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we get uh, something we that <laughs> feels like we haven't had it in a while, which is the student council elevator scene. <laughs> and yeah. this time, Nanami's reciting the chant, and then Mickey and Jury join in at it's the a, end. It's a different chant. Oh, is it? Yeah, there is different music. It is not. um, And the name of God was Abraxas. It's a different song. This time on the elevator, we have a new song. We have a new chant. And this time it is Nanami leading the chant. In this one, she talks about um, the egg or the, the chick breaking the egg. But she talks about the chamber of freedom, the cage of freedom, uh, without revealing the vastness of the sky. Um, and it, she says that they care for the chick. Mm-hmm. And like, that is a very different tone from, from Toga's version of the speech. Like for her, she's like talking about, um, you know, the, this cage that both protects and uh, constrains. But like in both cases, like even though it's protecting, you also need to leave it in order to fly. Yeah, and Toga's version just sounded really violent. Like there was no consideration for what happens to the egg after. It's just smash it. <laughs> Whereas Nanami goes a step further and is like, care for the chick. Yeah, and so then we get the council meeting itself where... The visual of this is there's a fan on the desk that changes direction whichever way Nanami is facing. And she's checking with Mickey and Jury if they're okay with her taking over the student council. And they're both fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Sionji isn't here to to quibble about it either. Um, you know, He's still expelled, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interestingly, Jury says, yeah, I don't have any objections, but also there's been no letters from the end of the world as of late, so they're just in a standstill, really. Yeah, which also tells us, like, the student council is in the dark about what's going on with the Black Rose. Yes. They have not been kept in the loop on what Mikage and Mamiya are doing. Which so makes we me get like, wonder. Go on. It makes me wonder if the end of the world is possibly in league with the Black Rose. Because uh, Mikage previously mentioned something about the end of the world in the last episode. Oh yeah. like I feel like it's clear that none of the stuff with the dueling game happens without the end of the world signing off on it. Mm-hmm. But now we get this clear indication that maybe it's that Toga isn't around or maybe it's just a matter of how the end of the world manipulates people. Yeah. That the end of the world is now playing one side against the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 
clearly the end of the world is okay with Mikage now using the duel the the student council duelists as part of his plot. Yeah. Like the former champions are now just like fodder for the Black Rose uh the Black Rose fake duelists that are being created. Yeah. And I, I want to focus on like this, the fan for a moment, because like to me, it feels like a very like winds of change or a change in the winds uh, metaphor here, where we have a new student council president and we have a totally new situation going on. And she is just catching the windfall of. Uh, her brother being too depressed to do his job as a student council president. Yeah. Also, the uh, what was with jury's pinwheels? Can you explain that one to me? <laughs> I feel like it was just like a, a visual amping up of the metaphor, just like just like with uh, that episode where Mickey was having the the knives thrown at him. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know, and then like it cuts to a shot of him, uh, you know, chin on his knuckles, pondering something, and there's just like an outline of knives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we move further up the tower to the chairman's chamber, and Utena is there alone with Akio having tea. And she takes a moment and asks him about the relationship between brothers and sisters, because she's an only child and she doesn't understand what that relationship is. And he says something like really puzzling and a little enigmatic. He hands her a slide of the moon <laughs> and says, and she's like, is this the moon? What does this have yeah. to do with anything? Like, what does this have to do with anything? How is this an answer to my question? Um, right. And he says, you don't normally think about it. And it doesn't really serve any purpose. Which, holy shit. Way to, like, way to throw your sister under the bus on that one. Um, he says, you don't normally think about it. And it doesn't really serve any purpose. But from time to time, you look up at it. And it makes you feel better. Which also, like, come on. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Oh, right. No, like, had this come from anyone else, that would be a really beautiful sentiment to share about, like, the, the role family has in your life of, like, yeah, like, you know, we've grown apart, but they're still my family, and I think about them, and I'm happy. You know, like, that's a really nice thing to say about, you know, family that, once you're grown up right but i mean i i would cut the it doesn't serve any purpose <laughs> i would say family right. doesn't serve e a purpose <laughs> exactly but, <laughs> but also like we know for a fact this is not how he really feels about her <laughs> yeah and also like it doesn't click for utena that <laughs> anthe and Akio see each other every week, once a week, without fail. 
So like, clearly it's not like, oh, it doesn't mean anything to me because if it didn't mean anything to you, then you wouldn't see each other every week, once a week. So even on just like the most basic level, I don't know. She just doesn't think about it any deeper or question it. And I don't know. I'm like, is that some kind of weird sway he has? Or is she just like, okay, yeah, I just don't understand like what siblings are like. Well, I mean, it's that same way that like if you're talking to somebody, if you're like 14 years old and you're talking to somebody who's like six or seven years older than you. Their words carry a different weight. Yeah, that's true. Which is part of the problematic nature of the power dynamic at play here Mm -hmm. that like he is very much not someone who should be trusted with that responsibility of speaking to minors in a healthy way. No. But like from Utena's perspective, she doesn't have the worldliness to understand that yet. Like to understand why he is not necessarily a good person. Yeah. I mean, like maybe if she knew exactly what was going on, like that would change things, but like she can't read the red flags. Yeah. Well, and you make a good point that, like, as a adolescent, you want to be able to trust most of the time. You want to be able to trust the word of those that are older than you. You know, there is a point in your teenage years where you start to challenge that. But this does kind of point to Utena's youth here. So then we move to the music room and... The first thing we hear is the metronome and uh, Mickey is there waiting for Anthe and it seems like he falls asleep because like in this moment we get these flashes of like the garden that he used to play in with Kozue, um, the a pitcher of it might be a milkshake because there's a blender there and they talk about milkshakes a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. There's butterflies hanging out on the straws that are in the cups. So, like, clearly these cups have been with them for a number of years. Um, And Kozway shows up and sees him passed out on top of the on top of the piano. And she puts a hand on his head. She leans down next to him. And it's like a really tender moment where because he's not awake she can be vulnerable with him again is like how I read that. Um, granted there's other ways to read that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the show lends itself to a little ambiguity on that one, mm-hmm. but, um, cause like the way she reacts when Anthony walks in is like, you want to say something, don't you? What did you see? Like, did you see that? Um, and Anthony's just like, I don't know, man. I'm here to play some music with Mickey. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the little, like, sigh and smile that she gives is very, like, oh, that was innocent. Mm-hmm. You know? And, of course, Kosuei is just immediately trying to square up. <laughs> right. Because she hates Anthea at this point. Mm-hmm. And so 
that moves us directly into uh, her taking up the challenge of going to Mikage. She rings the bell. Um, unlike last episode, someone with a man's voice answers at the front desk and is like, yeah, your appointment's time is ready. Like, go ahead. Um, so, like, there is an adult staffing the desk at the uh, Nomura Hall, which, mm -hmm. from a world building standpoint, blows my mind. <laughs> like, I, I would, I expected this place to be like creepy ass haunted, and there's no one there. Um, like, it's just Mikage and Mamiya, but like, apparently, this place has a budget and there's a, a full time person staffing the front desk and uh yeah <laughs> so yeah Kozue gets in what i call the box <laughs> and uh what's in the box no i'm done all right so she gets in the box and it's amazing to me how quickly these folks just start spilling their guts to like nobody. And I'm like, what under what guise or what have you did they think they were like, what interview were they told that this was? Did they, were they told that it was like a psych eval? Like what, <laughs> right. what were they told? <laughs> because they immediately just start spilling. And she starts with, like, when I get hurt or disgraced, it hurts him terribly inside. Uh, and that's why I date boys that he disapproves of, because then all he thinks of is me. And now he's getting close to another girl and drifting further away from me. Right. And I, I think this speaks to just, like, the maladaptive way that she wants to maintain that connection to him. Like, now the only way she can do this is through pain rather than through love. Yeah. And she sees him drifting away and feels powerless to stop it. Mm -hmm. And so when she stands up, like, we see, like, as a metaphor for her mind, like, the sheet music she brought to this meeting or to this appointment is just scattered all across the floor. Mm -hmm. And that's when Mikage tells her, like, the path that you must walk has been prepared for you. Your only choice is to revolutionize the world. Yeah. And so the next scene that we get is the infamous song that Mickey usually <laughs> plays. Is garden. Thank you. Being played. <laughs> and Mickey's walking up to his usual practice room comes in and sees that it's Kozue. Which honestly, like, kind of wild to me that that's just like within her still. Like, the Black Rose just kind of unlocked it. <laughs> so, right. uh... <laughs> like, she's like not as, like as bad. Of it that, like, there is an element of it that's really beautiful to see her playing that song again. Yeah. And it's like the black rose unlocked this within her. Like she still had this ability. She's not as bad as she thought she was. And it just astounds Mickey. And all of a sudden she stops and gets up and does like a very like 
intimate touch of like touching his face and then his chest. And then she looks like she's going to go in for a kiss. Yeah. And he pulls back and is like, what What are you doing? <laughs> I can't quite remember what she says here. Did you have it written down? Uh, she points out the ring that she's got on, which is a black yes. rose ring. And he is surprised to see it. Uh, and he's, and she says that this is the rose which blooms at the end of the world. Which there again makes me feel like the end of the world and the Black Rose Society, or excuse me, the Mikage Seminar Society are uh, in cahoots. Um, but the way that he asks her, like, where did you get that ring? I guess he just recognizes it because of the duelist crest and not the fact that it's like a black duelist ring. Well, I think he just says that ring. Yeah. Like in shock. Yeah. Um, but then like we get this shot in silhouette of uh, the sword emerging from him. And it, it seems really painful. Like it's cast in red light and he's shouting, and the sword just pops out of his chest. And we can recognize it from the hilt of it that this is um, his fencing sword. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the sword that comes from his heart resembles the one that he duels with. Except this one has a black handguard instead of a yes. gold one or a silver one. And then we have the shadow girl. Um, this time, like, once again, for this entire plot arc, uh, there's only the one shadow girl and she is acting against herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Wakaba and Utana are going to check on like the testing schedule for their final exams. And Utana notices pinned up on the same pin board is a, a challenge for the, the Rose duels. And we get that shot down the hall where on the stained glass in the background, um, the shadow girl is acting out her one person play. This time uh, it's a person on a train and one of the attendants on the train is going down the line offering snacks and drinks. And the repeated offering is driving this, this one rider nuts until <laughs> finally um, the rider says, I don't want anything. Won't you leave me alone? And, Utana says, just ignore her. <laughs> At which point the writer says, actually, I, I do want something to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which to me speaks to like the push and pull of Kozue and Mickey, right? Of like, oh, yeah. The two of them can't share a loving relationship anymore. So the only thing that they have is ways that they hurt each other. Or disappoint each other. But they're they're doing it in order to have that connection. Because they can't yeah. just ignore each other. They can't just tune out. They will take something they don't want from one another in order to get anything. Yeah. Oh God. That's that's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have our usual uh ritual of the duel, uh, ascending the stairs, the transformation, uh, and when we get up to the platform, it's a similar uh, 
display as last time. There's a whole bunch of desks, uh, except the centerpiece on all of the desks this time is the milkshake uh, that Mickey and Cozaway share during yeah, their childhood. Yeah, in the fancy glass pitchers. Yes. Um, and the red outlines are on the floor, just like last time, too. The only difference is the milkshake. Would you say that the milkshakes bring all the duelists to the dueling arena? <laughs> Get out! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even be mad. I can't even be mad. That was way better than my horrible puns. <laughs> Would you say that the milkshakes bring all the boys goes away out to the yard? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> all the goes away out to the yard? There we go. You're welcome. <laughs> Does your milkshake anyway. bring all, the, all hundred boys to the Mikage seminar? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> The end of this episode is just going to be the horrible jokes outtakes. Oh, I'm leaving no. these in. I'm leaving these right in. <laughs> so, um, Utena immediately recognizes that um, that Kozue is using Mickey's sword. Like, she recognizes mm-hmm. it from the first time she saw Mickey dueling with it. And Kozue says something really fascinating here. She says, Mickey and I are the only ones worthy of existence. Wow. <laughs> right. So she goes through life. <laughs> and I've I've known people like this, but she goes through life with these like people blinders on where it's like totally indifferent to anyone else other than like the one person that matters to them. Right. I do not live my life that way. And so it's just real interesting when that comes up. (laughs) Yeah. Like on some level, it speaks to that mentality of like the person that you are obsessed with can like do no wrong. Yeah. Like whatever they do is fine because they're the ones doing it right now. The, the song that's playing is utopian past tense incantation which is all about time travel and what i take away from this one is like mickey and kozue are both trapped in the past with one another yeah like they both want to recapture a time in their lives when they were closer to one another and Everything they do drives each other apart instead. But like, yeah. <laughs> we can see from this moment where like, even the fact that she's in the dueling arena fighting to kill Anthe, she's motivated by jealousy. She's mm-hmm. afraid of losing her brother to this girl. Because they're still trying to sort out what their sibling relationship looks like once they're no longer children. Yeah. And they're trapped in their childhood. Right. Because like, even Mickey, the way he talks about his music, like, there's a part of it that 
he plays the music to be close to Kozue, but Kozue has said herself, like, she doesn't give a shit about the music. She never did. Yeah. Meanwhile, for her, she does all this flirting with boys to torture her brother, but she doesn't actually care about any of them. We see that at the very beginning of the episode when she just like literally pushes one away by his face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then talks about having multiple boyfriends. (laughs) Right. And so like this, this is a kind of a normal stage of development for siblings who were really close when they were young is like how do you move to a new way of relating to one another once new people are entering your life once new interests are coming into your life um like you can read uh an incestuous romance piece into it i don't feel like that's as present with these two um I know that there are fans who do read that into them and that I, I, I can see it, I guess, but like, it's not what I'm seeing in these two. Mm-hmm. I would say like of all of the siblings in the, in this show, these two are probably the closest to the healthiest. They're just stuck at one point in their relationship with one another. And like, that's where they're trapped, but they're trapped on the way to a healthier relationship with one another. Whereas the other two sets of siblings, I think those are probably beyond repair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in this duel, Anthe empowers the sword. Like Utena does like this little flip and picks up the sword and kind of does the trick that Toga showed her with, um, empowering the sword like the way that happened a couple episodes back when uh in his rematch with utena and so this time anthe empowers the sword and then dios appears so to me this was a moment of how much in sync anthe and utena have become because absolutely she just she just like, Anthe calls out to Utena to initiate this move uh, to save Utena from losing the duel. And they just work completely in sync there. Oh, by the way, there was a moment earlier in the duel where uh, <laughs> Kozue and Utena are fighting and it cuts to Anthe drinking out of one of the milkshake jars or pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> I did not catch that. That is brilliant. <laughs> like this serious battle at where Kozaway's like, screw you, Anthe, I want to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And then cuts to Anthe just casually drinking a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 30 of them up there. You don't want them to go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it signals like how much confidence Anthe has in in Utena in this fight. She's not worried about her at all. Even when she calls out to do uh, their like synergy moment, uh, she's still not worried. Right. And like for me, the milkshakes on the desks and the desks themselves and all of it, the former theater kid in me is looking at this and like all of the theater metaphors in this show 
and just wondering how big is this stage crew to get all this <laughs> shit up to the arena and set and like all the props in place for this entire fight like how did this happen <laughs> the makake seminar society any adults that are employed within that building the memorial hall are strictly employed for this purpose to move all of those desks up and set oh, no, the no. stage it's the hundred boy zombies that's what it is <laughs> yeah exactly that's it <laughs> So um, it, I, I feel like it goes without saying uh, Utena wins the duel. We cut to Mikage saying, well, she lost, but um, there's other student council members. This was just the first. And so we're going to get like an inverse rematch with all of the student council members as Mikage moves through them. Um, but this time... Like with Mickey, it'll be somebody close to them who is going to be the one who is doing the dueling using their sword. So I want to I want to hear your guess as to who is who. Like, who's going to be each of the student council members like Rose duelist, Black Rose duelist? Well, for jury, it's got to be Shiori. Okay. Has to be. Uh, I don't know who Nanami's would be. I would think Toga, but it's not possible. He's too, like, catatonic. So, I don't know. And there's no other members of the student council that are still present, to my knowledge. You're saying Jury's gonna be with Shiori. Um, mm-hmm. Nanami. Yeah, no clue for Nanami. Well, think about it. Like, who are the characters that we've seen around Nanami? I mean, it's been the three, which I can never remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're talking about Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. That's correct. Uh, yeah, we've seen them. Okay. And then Toga is the most important thing in her life to her. But I don't... Toga's too catatonic. I couldn't see him coming back miraculously to do that. Um, (laughs) Sionji's out of the picture. To my knowledge, there are no other student council members. So I have no clue, other than juries, what and who we're going to get. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm also just curious to see more of why Mamiya wants to be the Rose Bride so bad. But we can talk about that in a future episode. So the episode closes with um, Kozue telling Mickey that she doesn't remember. Um, she doesn't remember like anything that happened with the, the duel. Just like we got with Kanae last episode. And as like a reaching back, she actually asks him to make a milkshake this time before bed, which is like the first sign of the two of them mending their relationship, which I think is a really sweet little moment. Yeah. It's a little olive branch, which is nice. 
Um, once again, Choo Choo is hanging out with Utana. And Utana quotes Akio, um, that quote from earlier about the moon, as she's thinking about, about Anthe, really. Um, and it's framed from like the music as like a sweet moment, which I think it is a sweet sentiment for Utana. But it's still really awkward because of like the yeah. actual underlying meaning of all of that. Yeah. Um, and we get more gross Akio at the end of the episode. Uh-huh. And not only that, we get possibly, to me, the most disturbing thing so far in this series. So we didn't talk about it, but in the scene where Mickey, Utena, and Anthe are all together, Mickey makes a comment about the pronunciation of choo-choo, and they make a joke about how uh, it sounds like choo-choo, like a <laughs> train noise, and Anthe's remarks that it's cute and she likes it. Um, and kind of wants to like call Choo Choo that now. Um, so one thing about that is that that Choo Choo, that is the onomatopoeia for kissing in Japan. That's what's actually being said there. It's not a train thing. It's an onomatopoeia for kissing, which makes it even weirder. And she says it. She says it at yeah. the end of the episode, as she's going yep. to Akio horrifying it's so disturbing um it's like a little pet name for a very brief moment i was horrified that um choo choo was somehow also connected to akio oh, meaning okay. yeah meaning that it's some the creation of Choo Choo is some byproduct of their relationship, uh, which maybe this is it too, but it's like that she can't quite accept as reality. And so Choo Choo exists because of it. Okay. I mean, that's still true, but like I was worried that it was more like, that it was more like Akio twisted choo choo kind of thing. Like, oh, I was it, just really it, scared. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, not our cute, beloved, <laughs> hilarious monkey mouse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, he is like an explicitly magical creature at this point. Yeah. Um, to a degree that, like, no one else in the show is commenting on his magical nature anymore. Nope. Um, so like the idea of him being a manifestation of something for, for Anthe, I think that holds some water. Yeah. Um, also like her need for a companion who like a non-judgmental companion during all of this is probably also a, a real part of it. Um, yeah, I mean in a way, it's like Choo Choo is an imaginary friend come to life. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. I have in my notes here, Akio, as in like awkward, um, <laughs> to refer <laughs> to just just to refer to like anything like this. Like we have an Akio warning. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to cut that and put it earlier um, just to say like, <laughs> I, I think for like from now on, we're going to refer to this as the Akio warning. Uh, whenever yeah whenever Akio is being disgusting and gross um in lighter news mhm we lighten yeah, things speaking up of... again with a nanami episode i was about to say speaking of when it's not about this the yeah. nanami cowbell episode <laughs> i have a question for you um, uh-huh. how much of this next episode have you picked up from like pop culture or fan culture osmosis already oh absolutely nothing no okay. the fact that no 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 the fact that um nanami is going to turn into a cow in the next episode i have no fucking clue <laughs> <laughs> i do have i do have a follow-up prediction to what we talked about earlier which is like oh well who's gonna be the person to get the sword out of Nanami's heart it's gonna be a cow that's my prediction that's my tinfoil hat conspiracy <laughs> theory for this <laughs> for this episode it's gonna be a fucking cow that pulls a sword out of her heart <laughs> I can't say anything I want to see this I want to see that moment <laughs> <laughs> Oh, also, real quick, in this preview, Anthe throws some shade yet again. She's quite a a master of this, but she she goes, oh, a cowbell. It suits Nanami so well. Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the Cowbell of Happiness episode. All right. So where can folks find us online? So you can send in your questions, comments, other uh, fellow tinfoil uh, hat conspiracy theories into our Gmail inbox, which is absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet those things at us at Zetai Unme pod on Twitter. Uh, and then as for our personal accounts, uh, you can find us online um, pretty much anywhere under uh, the following usernames. Uh, mine is at carcutie, which is K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. And I'm at Life in Neon. And we will see you next time. One last tinfoil conspiracy hat. <laughs> oh, yeah, go for <laughs> tinfoil. it. One last tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Uh, vampire cows. That's it. Good night, everybody. <laughs>